G'day, everyone. Good to see you all. Tonight we're in the book of Psalms, so please uh, open back up to Psalm 93. Thank you for your continued prayers for my voice. Uh, It is still a daily struggle. I sat at lunch with a few of you today and didn't say a word uh, so that I could speak tonight. So thank you for your patience, those three people. And uh, now I do get to talk, which is great. Psalm 93, let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our King. And we pray tonight that you would help us to be encouraged by learning more about who he is and that you'd help us to live in joyful submission to him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Have a look at this picture for a moment. How does this picture make you feel? I want you to focus not so much on the sky and the clouds, but focus on the waves, on the water. What does it feel like when you see that? What thoughts come up in your mind? Are you filled with awe at the power of the waves? Are you filled with fear as you imagine the danger and the harm that these waves could cause? Do you get that sense of wonder, of magnificence, of majesty when you see something terrible and fearsome? Now imagine being in that water. And imagine being right where that big wave is crashing right up in the air. What would you feel? You would feel terror, wouldn't you? Dread, panic. Remember those feelings for a moment, that fear, that awe at the raging sea, because we will come back to it very soon. But for now, remember that this month we're looking at the Psalms. And today we're looking at Psalm 93. Now, whenever we come to read a psalm, it's important to notice a few things. So here's a few quick things to notice whenever we come to read a psalm. Let's set the scene. Well, first of all, you've got to ask the question, is there a title? Is there a superscription at the beginning? Many of the psalms have a little bit of info at the beginning, and they tell us who wrote it, or who it was written for, or what it was for, or what tune to sing it to. But if we look at the beginning of our psalm today, Psalm 93, well, there isn't one, is there? There is a heading there, but that's given to us by the Holman translators. There's no Psalm of David or other superscription or title like that. So we need to read the psalm for ourselves to figure out what it's on about. The second thing to notice is what kind of psalm it is. Is it a psalm of praise, a psalm of thanksgiving? A psalm of confession, a lament psalm? Is it a messianic psalm that talks about the king and the future coming of God's kingdom? Well, this psalm, when we look at it, it's easy to tell it's a psalm of praise, isn't it? It declares God's praises for who he is, for what he's done. And the third thing to notice about psalms is this. We need to remember that the psalms are songs and poems. And so we need to recognize that there's images there. We need to wrestle with the word pictures, with the metaphors that are given, and figure out what they mean. So come with me. We're going to do that. Let's look at verse 1. It says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. 
What's the first image the psalmist gets us to see? It's an image of God as a king. The psalmist takes us into a grand palace. And in that palace takes us into the throne room where the throne is. And there, seated on the throne, is the king. What is this king like? He's mighty. He's magnificent. He's robed, not not robed in fine clothes, not royal gowns. He's robed in majesty. He's enveloped in strength. Majesty and strength. These are the two characteristics of God that the psalmist wants us to reflect on. Majesty. That sense of magnificence, splendor, grandeur, prestige awesomeness and strength the ability to do what one wants to do the strength to overcome enemies and adversaries this king is glorious he reigns in power then the psalmist he takes us out of the palace out of the throne room of the king and out onto the porch and as we look out over the porch you see the king's domain the place he rules over. Have a look at it in verse 1. It says, The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. What's the king's domain? It's not simply one nation or one land. It's the whole world. That is God's domain. The world and everything in it. He rules over everything. Nothing is outside his dominion. He rules, he governs, he decrees with all authority over everything. He has established the earth. He spoke and it happened. He commanded and everything was. Now our education and our culture, it teaches us, doesn't it? That nature is driven by blind forces. By the laws of nature, the laws of physics, and that's it. They're the things that hold things together or pull things apart. But no, instead, the psalmist shows us that verse 2. He says, God, your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The world is established. Did you realize that phrase before? Then it says God's throne is established. The two are joined together. Because God's throne is established... The world is established. When you see the world established, running in its patterns, the sun rising, the earth spinning, the seasons changing, that's because God's throne is established. He rules, he made it, and he governs it, and he sustains it. That's the only reason nature does what it does. The only reason the laws of physics actually stay in place because the Lord reigns. He's the one who established them. He's the one who sustains them. So Israel and we were also meant to look out at the world that we see, the world that God has made and say, the Lord reigns. I can see it. He is king. He governs the universe. He holds it together. He keeps its patterns going. He changes the seasons. He brings rain. He takes it away. He gives life. And decides when it ends. Well, that's the first image that the psalmist gives us of God. He is our glorious 
king. He rules his domain, the world. Well, next, the psalmist gives us another image, and it's an image of floodwaters and raging waters. So have a look again at verse 3. The psalmist, he gets us to picture and even to hear the roar of rising and rushing waters. I showed you this picture at the beginning. Here it is again. When you stop and think about it, there's not much more that's more life-threatening or more dangerous than raging torrents of water, is there? Whether it be pelting rains or rising floods, whether it be raging waves of the sea like this, whether it be the powerful rapids or waterfalls or a devastating tsunami, rushing and raging waters, they are powerful, dangerous things. All it takes is one mistake, one lapse of judgment, and the water will take you, and it will not let you go. And anything that gets in the way of these raging waters, houses, boats, cars, whatever, they collapse, or they're carried away. I remember a few years ago watching some footage of a tsunami in Japan, I was stunned and humbled as I watched. Over the course of just a few minutes, the waters rose and surged in until every car was just floating away. And every building was ripped from its foundations and crumbled. It was terrifying. It was fearsome. But what does the psalmist say? Look at verse 4. He says, Greater than the roar of many waters, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. The power and terror of rushing and raging waters is nothing compared to the Lord, Yahweh. The waters can rise and lift up, but they never reach God, do they? He is higher. He is greater. He is stronger. He is more fearsome and more majestic. Now at this point, we we might be tempted to think that the psalmist is saying something like this. Whatever storms of life come your way, it's okay. God is more powerful. He's mightier. Or if you feel like you're drowning in life, don't worry. The Lord can save you. He can pull you out. Now that might be true, right? There are other psalms that say things like that. The Lord is more powerful than all the circumstances and experience we face. But I don't think that's what the psalmist is saying here. Instead, I think he was trying to figure out, what is is the most terrifying image that I can think of? What is the most awesome thing that I can get people to image? Raging, rushing, rising waters. And why did he choose that image? He chose it to show us who God is, to show us that he is more majestic, more powerful than even these powerful and fearsome forces. He brought us this image to make us stand in awe of who he is, to remind us that he reigns, that he is greater than raging waters. He is to be feared even more than the most feared things on this earth. The Lord reigns. He is more powerful than the most fearsome flood or raging waters. Well, so far, the psalmist has given us two images. 
the image of a king and his domain, the image of raging, rushing waters, and they're images of grandeur, of power, strength, fearsome, majestic images. But now he gives us a different image. He brings us to a different place. The psalmist brings us not out into the world to see the things of this world, but into the temple. He takes us into Jerusalem, into the temple, right into the Holy of Holies, where God dwells with his people. Have a look at verse 5. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness is the beauty of your house for all the days to come. The psalmist moves from these big images of grandeur, from considering the bigness and greatness of God, he moves from these to the amazing and simple fact. The Lord who reigns has chosen to dwell with his people. The one who is the king has given people his word and his presence. God's word, his testimony, his words that were spoken and written down, they were kept and they were taught in, taught from in the temple. The psalmist says they are completely reliable. You can stake your life on them. They will hold true for all eternity. They are truth and there is no lie on them. The Lord who reigns over all, he's revealed himself through his words. And his people can hear the one who reigns. As well as that, he's chosen to have his house, his presence to be with his people Israel, his temple. The holy God, the Lord who reigns. He has chosen to come down and live with his people. His house is beautifully holy. It is set apart as the only place he dwells on earth in that special way. And though his people are sinful, though they are undeserving, the Lord who reigns, who is robed in majesty and strength, who is mightier than raging waters, he is graciously chosen to speak to his people, to live with them. God's people, they are the most privileged people on earth. The Lord reigns and dwells with them. We can see, can't we, how this psalm is a psalm of praise. It declares who God is, that he is Lord, that he reigns over all. It's a psalm of praise, but it's also meant to be a psalm of encouragement, a reminder to God's people Israel, this is who your God is. He is king. He is the one who reigns. This is the one who is on your side, mightier than raging warriors, dwells with you and speaks to you. And so when Israel were attacked by surrounding nations, they were meant to remember, the Lord reigns, not these mere humans attacking us. When Israel was tempted to turn to other nations and turn to other gods for help, they were meant to remember, the Lord reigns. We must worship and serve him alone. When Israel was tempted to be proud and boastful and puffed up, They were meant to remember, no, the Lord reigns. He is king and we are not, and we must submit to him. And the Israelites, they were meant to speak to one another 
remind each other in day-to-day life. They were meant to sing this psalm to one another and say, The Lord reigns. You can trust in him. Remember and don't forget. Well, that's Israel. But what about us? What does it mean for us that the Lord reigns? What does this psalm have to say to us today? We have more evidence that the Lord reigns than the psalmist did, don't we? God has made his rule, his reign, even more clear and concrete for us compared to the psalmist. Because he has sent his king. He has sent Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again. He ascended on high to be ruler over everything. And that's why we read Colossians 1 before, because we see there the Lord's reign, but that he reigns in Christ. There we see Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God, the one whose body was the temple of the Lord, who is the word of God, God's revelation in the flesh. We see the one who, was, who made all things and for whom all things were made. So we see the whole world is his dominion, his domain. We see him as head over all creation as over, and over the church. He takes the first place in everything. He's the king. And he has defeated something even more fearsome than raging waters. Death itself. The Lord Jesus reigns. He is seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. He will come again as judge and king. Truly, we can say more than the psalmist. The Lord reigns. And so this psalm speaks to us in greater ways than it ever did to Israel. To the proud, it says, the Lord reigns and not you. And Jesus will come as the judge. So turn to him in faith and repentance or face his wrath and judgment. To us as Christians, when we're tempted to fear and despair, when life is overwhelming, perhaps when we feel like we're drowning. We're meant to remember, we're meant to take comfort in and rejoice in this fact. The Lord Jesus reigns. And we're meant to speak to one another in these words, encouraging one another with these words. The Lord reigns. Jesus is on the throne. But we're not meant to just say those words. The Lord reigns in that kind of platitude way that ignores reality. Or how we actually feel. We're not meant to be the person who says to themselves and to others, the Lord reigns, as if it's some kind of magical spell to make us happy all of a sudden. No, our fears and struggles are real. But in those fears and struggles, we're meant to say to ourselves and to others, the Lord reigns. Trust in him. We're meant to say the Lord reigns, not as empty words, not as false assurance that everything will be okay, but with substance. Because when we say the Lord reigns, we say Jesus is the one who made all things. When we say the Lord reigns, we say the Lord Jesus is on the throne, ruling and sustaining the world. When we say the Lord reigns, We say Jesus is higher and greater and more powerful than raging fearsome waters. 
When we say the Lord reigns, we say Jesus has conquered death itself. When we say the Lord reigns, we say he will return and make all things new. Let's encourage each other with the words, the Lord reigns. Not in a false assurance, empty way, but with the substance that this psalm gives it. Because the Lord Jesus, he reigns. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we declare together today that you reign. You are on the throne. You rule over all creation. And whether or not it feels like that's what's going on or what it looks like in our world or whatever we experience in life, we know your word says it. So we know it is true. Lord Jesus, we know you reign over all and that we can trust you with all things, in all things. And so we ask that you would please help us to trust you. Help us to encourage ourselves and one another to remind each other with these words, the Lord reigns, so that we might live lives of full trust in you, free from fear because you are our God. And you reign over all. Amen.